Father, may what we have sung truly be the desire of our hearts. And as we look at your word, may it reinforce for us our commitment to you. As we understand your eternal commitment to us. In the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. I don't think any of us would argue that we live in a needy world. We live in a world of people who are empty. And people who are yearning for an answer to the questions of life. Questions that that plague people and nag at people, that keep people up at night, and far too often questions that, that cause people to do some pretty crazy things. We know that we live in this kind of world. We see the needs. They're all around us. They're continually in front of us. But we're often at a loss to know what to do about the needs. Honestly, there are There are a lot of days where it seems as though things are just sort of out of control. The needs so great, the struggles so deep, the burdens so far beyond us. And we'll have to wonder, what in the world can we do to make any kind of difference? How can we ever put a dent in the massive needs and neediness of this world? Because we don't see a good answer to that question, we tend to live with the mindset of circling the wagons. And let's just hope we can hang on. Or in order to, to ease our conscience, we, we live in denial about the needs of the world. And we simply say, it's bad, I don't like it, I wish it weren't that way, but there's nothing I can do. And we just go on with our lives. I have a sense that that's the mindset of the disciples in this event that is recorded for us in the 8th chapter of Mark's gospel. Jesus has been teaching in this remote place. And for three days, this large crowd has gathered around to listen. And Jesus now has completed his teaching here and he's ready to move on. But he's concerned about these people. They're hungry. And he wants to feed them. The disciples are at a loss to know what to do. Sort of like, I don't know. What can we do? But Jesus has an answer. And his answer is focused in a question. A question he asks his disciples. As they're shrugging their shoulders with blank stares, he's saying, he asks them, how many loaves do you have? Or in other words, I know that... You don't have much. I know that it's going to be difficult to feed all of these people with what's available. And I know that what you have looks pretty insignificant. But what do you have? And this is a question that Jesus not only asks them, but I believe is asking us as his disciples living in a needy world. We have a tendency to focus on what we don't have when we think about the needs of the world. 
But Jesus is asking, what do you have? It's not what you can't do, but what you can do. He's not asking about our limitations, but about our gifts. Not about the things that constrain us, but about our abilities. Not about the experiences of others that we might envy, but our own experiences that we might lament. Whatever we have, God says, I want to use that. I just need you to release it to me. Because whatever we have is enough for God to do what he wants to do if he is in the middle of it. And this story is, is really about, it's really about what Jesus does, not what we do. It's about Jesus using what we have, but it's about Jesus doing it, not us. Really, Jesus doesn't need the disciples to perform his miracle. He's perfectly capable of feeding the crowd with or without whatever they have, with or without their contribution. But Jesus wants what they have because he wants to involve them in this miracle. And as you read the story and as you ponder it, you get the sense that the miracle is as much for the disciples as it is for the people who get fed. The people are certainly the beneficiaries of this miracle. They eat and they're satisfied and they go away filled. But I wonder if the real point of the miracle isn't something for the disciples. Jesus has something profound to teach these closest followers that they need to know in order for them to be ready to be on their own, to be the church, to be the kingdom of God on earth. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, then there's something here for us too. We don't know much of anything about the hungry people. We don't know where the bread and the fish come from. But somebody has to give up their food for Jesus. Maybe one of the disciples, it might be somebody in the crowd, but someone has to give up their food for Jesus. And you can imagine that as this person is approached, their response is, oh, wait a second. This is my food. I'm sorry that everybody else is hungry and they didn't bring enough, but this is mine. And and I need to hang on to it because if I hang on to it, I know I'll eat. If I give it to Jesus, I might not get any back. I might starve. And I don't know if, 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 if the person who gave the food gave it readily or if there was a bit of tug of war over the loaf of bread. But eventually they give it to Jesus. It's not easy giving what we have. It's often an issue of security for us. Because when we have what we think is enough, we have a tendency to feel like we're now secure. I mean, after all, we say to ourselves, hey, this is all I've got. I, I know that in the scheme of things, what I have, it looks pretty small, but it's, what, it's all I've got. I know that, that that's a negative and, and even painful experience in my life. But it's what I know. It, it's comfortable. It's what I've got. And I'm hanging on to it. 
This is my family. This is my money. This is my security, my church, my position. And Jesus says, yeah, I know that. But will you trust me enough to give it to me? Can you believe that, that my, in my power, I can take this little that you have, even if it's all you have, this little that you have, and I can multiply it? And make it grow in ways that are beyond your wildest dreams? This is about what Jesus can do with what we have. And our role is not to do the miraculous. Our role is to offer to Jesus whatever we have. Because he wants us to be involved in the miraculous. And Jesus wants to involve us, not because we are so great, and not because he can't do miracles without us, but in order to open our eyes to see who he is and and what he is able to do as we release to him what we have. Who could have imagined that these people could be fed with seven loaves of bread and a few fish? Can you put that into perspective for a moment? Mark tells us there were 4,000, about 4,000 men here, which best estimates of scholars, maybe there were 10,000 men, women, and children. If you've ever been to... HSBC Arena in Buffalo, that's more than half of how many people that holds. And he's going to feed them with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And these are not supersized, gigantic loaves. These are not whales that they're cutting up. These are just regular little fish and regular loaves of bread. You know, each each loaf, you know, might feed, I don't know, Five, ten people, if nobody ate too much. Each fish, maybe about the same. So maybe, you know, you might say, well, we might be able to feed a couple hundred people out of this if we're careful. Which only leaves you with about 9,800 more to feed. And Jesus feeds them. And it's an astounding miracle that reminds us that when we think stuff is impossible with Jesus, nothing is impossible. Nothing is too great for him. No yearning is too deep. No hunger is too profound that Jesus cannot meet it. But I think we often miss those miracles and and our faith is weak When we just hang on to what we have. It's when you get involved in what God is doing. That your eyes are open. And your faith is enlarged. And you begin to believe the things that God can do. As opposed to living in a small little world. And just hanging on to what you have. You boil this thing down and it's really about what Jesus can do so that we'll understand more of who he is.
You know, that question is continually brought up through the Gospels. And, and most of what Jesus does is to help people understand who he is. At the end of this passage, the Pharisees come to him and ask for a sign. And he says, I'm not going to give you a sign. But they want to know who are you, but they really don't want to know that. But Jesus has just revealed who he is by what he's done. I've often said that I, I hope there's, there's instant replay in heaven. Because there are some things that I read in scriptures that I'd love to see, I'd love to see played out. How in the world did that happen? This is one of those events. And I've tried to ponder, how did Jesus do this miracle? Did he take a loaf of bread, put it behind his back and start breaking it up? And just kept breaking? Or, or did he open up the loaf and, and, and more just kept coming out of it? Or did he put the bread and the, and the fish in a, in a basket and his hands in there and he's pulling it out sort of like a magician with handkerchiefs? I don't know. It boggles my mind to try to figure that out. And for a long time, I thought it doesn't matter how Jesus did it. What difference does it make? And then someone reminded me recently that the great church father, Athanasius, speaking of this event, reminds us that God is the only one who has ever created ex nihilo, out of nothing. And in a very real sense, here is Jesus creating out of nothing. And the disciples, and I'm sure some of the other people around who watch this step back. And they ask one another again, who is this that even the bread of the earth submits to him? And there is something about releasing what we have to Christ that helps us understand more and more of who he is. It reminds us that the one to whom we are surrendering what we have is the Almighty One whose power and might are unlimited. And this is, this is all wrapped up in, in the Lord's Supper. These mysterious symbols of, of bread and cup are sensory reminders that Jesus satisfies our deepest yearnings and he quenches our most arid thirst that nothing is too great, that the crucified, risen, and returning Christ is not still greater. And we eat the bread and we drink the cup and we see Christ's power and we hear it and we feel it and we smell it and we taste it. And we realize that he can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because he's already done it all. And as we eat and drink, we remember that Christ, Christ can heal that relationship. And, and that Christ can, can fill that, that emptiness. And that Christ can, can forgive that sin. And that Christ can give us power to overcome that habit. Because nothing is beyond the power of the Almighty God.
It does intrigue me that this miracle, in a sense, is is triggered, Mark tells us in verse 2, by the compassion that Jesus feels for these hungry, needy people. He says, seeing that they have nothing to eat, he says to his disciples, I have compassion for these people. And the disciples' response is, well, yeah, but... And Jesus says, what do you have? Let's take what you have and meet that need. Someone has said that religious people have a tendency not to see people. They see causes and behaviors and stereotypes. And and we see other people that are unlike us. But we have a hard time seeing people as people. And I think it's because we're so enamored with ourselves. It blinds us to the needs of other people. We're more concerned with what we have or what we don't have than we are with the needs of others. And so we don't feel compassion for them. And if we are mostly concerned with what we have or what we don't have, not only will we not see their needs, but even when they're pointed out to us, we don't really have a heart that cares about them. Because we're enamored with protecting whatever we have. And we are blinded to the compassion of Christ that he wants to infuse within us. I think one of the reasons he wants to involve us in miracles and in the work of his kingdom in the world is so that he will continue to soften our hearts about other people. That when we see needs, we feel compassion. And as he leads us, we do something about it. It's hard because involvement is costly. Sometimes it's, it, it's more costly than we're willing to pay. But the rewards are mind-boggling. Not because we do anything, but because Christ works in us and through us. So this is the second the second uh, recorded event in the Gospel of Mark of Jesus feeding a large group of people. In chapter 6, Mark tells us about Jesus feeding a group of 5,000 men. And the other Gospels have these same two stories as well. Have you ever wondered why the Gospels tell us, in a sense, the same story twice? I mean, you would think in Mark's Gospel being the shortest and limited on space and all the things that Jesus did, would it make more sense for him to tell us one account of a feeding and then tell us something else that Jesus did that is now missing? And scholars ponder the question as to why this event is, is recorded, two events are recorded in one gospel. And I don't know the answer to that, but I, I suspect maybe it has something to do with our short memories. The point of of what goes on here is so essential to what it means to be a follower of Christ that we need to read it and hear it and see it and absorb it more than once. We need repetition, particularly repetition about how we treat needy people and about understanding who Christ is and about trusting in his ability to take what we have and to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. We need to hear that more than once. 
We need to see it more than once. And for the very same reason, we keep coming back to the table of our Lord. We remember in this meal that Christ is our host. This meal, like this miracle, is first and foremost about him and about his invitation to we who are completely undeserving. He invites us to come and to feast for our own souls and to increase our faith. And to come and to see that the feast that we might see the world through his eyes of compassion. And to come and feast that we might remember his power in what he's done and in what he's doing and in what he has promised to do. In this feast, we remember that there are no limits to what Christ can do because he's the king of all. And we remember that he invites us to come and to participate with him compassionately serving the needy, hungry world. And I believe that this miracle reminds us that this is not a table of judgment, but of possibilities and of faith in him for whom nothing is impossible. And he invites all of us unworthy people to come, to be filled, and to rejoice in him. Gracious Father, we pray that you will strengthen us as we partake of this holy food. Blessed by the memory of what Christ has done and is doing. And by the presence of him who initiates this meal. We pray that as we eat and drink, that the troubled among us will find peace. Give hope to to any who are downtrodden this day. Bind up the wounded. Lift up the fallen. And open the eyes of those who cannot see. We pray that you will bless the bread and the cup that through your Holy Spirit. They will become the makings of a great feast in our lives. As Christ enters our hearts through them. Father, we pray that you will fill us with joy for what Christ has done and help us raise our voices in thanksgiving to you for your perfect gift of love and grace and salvation. Father, this is your table. We are your guests. We come and eat through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.